Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Thank you, Bethan. Um, yeah, so I'm Josh. Um, I'm the tree who is the new student pastor. And it, yeah, really great to be with you. Thank you. There we are. Yeah, I've been living in Leeds for almost five years now. Um, and I've come to view student ministry as the most exciting front line that we can have as a church. I think my views are a bit biased as to who God has made me and called me to be. However, the opportunity to disciple young adults who are making truly independent decisions for the first time is really exciting. And the missional opportunities in the space of their courses, their homes, their societies is infinite. So if you'd like to come and chat about student life with me, please say hello. I'd love to share what it looks like inside and out of the church. And I'd like to share some of our prayers and some of our fruits from it. But today, I'm finishing off our series on the Psalms. We have journeyed together through several themes that have really forced us to grapple with the reality of life. The Psalms encourage us to look look out into the world and bring all we see before God, pushing us to faithfully trust in his nature and his character, despite what we may see. Today we are looking on the theme of covenant. A covenant is an agreement made between two or more people, where one makes promises trusting that the other will fill their side of the commitment. But we'll come back to that later. Our psalm today, Psalm 78, encourage us to read the story as a parable. The NIV, verse 2, reads, I will open my mouth as a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old. Another translation takes a bit more of a dark turn on that. The ESV more ominously ominously translates verse 2 as, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Luckily, Uh, the message has a bit more joyful version. I am chewing on a morsel of a proverb. I'll let you in some sweet old truths. The purpose of a parable is to consider a story with a deeper wisdom than just recounting facts. The stories told in this psalm follow many narratives from the history of the Israelites and their people. However, here the author is encouraging us Not just to remember the history, but to seek some deeper wisdom from the stories. To help us chew out that wisdom, we need to work out where this psalm fits within the story and where it fits within the context of a covenant. By the point the psalms are being put together, the Israelite people have been given four covenants, calling them to be faithful to God as God is faithful to them. We start with Noah and the rainbow, that happens after the flood. Then we get Abraham and the circumcision, calling Abraham's family to be God's people. Then we have Israel as a nation, given the law to be faithful to God. And lastly, we have King David and the temple and a promise of future hope. This psalm dwells on the covenant between Moses and Israel through the law. And as we uh, ask ourselves for the wisdom, we must also ask ourselves, what was the law for then? But as, 
as you gather a covenant. That's what I actually want to say. I skipped ahead. But as, as, we, as we ask ourselves for the wisdom, we've got to ask ourselves, what is a covenant for? There we go. We'll get onto the law later. A covenant is an agreement between two or more people where one makes promises to the other to be trusting that they will fulfill their commitments. For us today, this most commonly looks like marriages, contracts, partnerships. Covenants between God and humanity aren't necessarily equal, though. God isn't demanding the same standards for us and himself. They're not a transaction where you pay a value, but they're a partnership rooted in faith and in relationships. As I started a new job this week, I know quite a lot about contracts. My employees have agreed to pay me off me holiday, off me training and support. And in return, I offer a certain number of hours, a vision, a priority, a proper conduct. So the author of Psalm 78 is clearly dwelling on this covenant and the covenant law in Exodus 19 to 34. There are four uh, key Hebrew words that signify the law, and they are all used within this psalm. So we get to return to Josh's basic Hebrew school for a little while. We have four words. The first one is Torah. This means law and teaching. It's probably the most common Hebrew word that many of us may know. Within traditions, it refers to the first five books of the Bible. But more importantly, it refers to God's speech to Moses as he pronounces the law. Second word is mitzvah, which means commandments. We commonly uh, associate the word commandment with the Ten Commandments. However, this word is more broadly used to just um, signify all that God has said alongside the the law. So you have Torah and mitzvah to comment on all God has said. The next word used is eduth, which means testimony. Now, this word, weirdly, is actually the one that is used to describe the Ten Commandments and the Ark of the Covenant. And finally, we have berith, which is the fundamental word to signify covenant allegiance. A contract has been agreed. This can be between people and God, but can also just be between kings or nations. Within the first 10 verses of this psalm, each of these words are used. The author is dwelling on the law, and he continues to dwell on it throughout. But what was the law for? We've got there. Hundreds of thousands of books have been written on the topic of the law, and it is clear that it means a lot and was for a lot. But today I just want to highlight how the covenantal law was there to show God's character. As Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the law, God speaks for 15 chapters, briefly interrupted by the Israelites failing and worshipping another god. But at the end of God's speech, he passes before Moses, declaring his name, declaring his character, and declaring his nature. In Exodus 34, 5 to 10, says this, Then the Lord came down on the mountain and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, 
maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents, the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Here the beauty of the law is shown. God is making a covenantal partnership with his people. His people need to be based off his character and his nature. They are called to be God's inheritance, God's set-apart people, his holy nation and chosen people. People who are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands in comparison to acting in justice on the third and the fourth. Holding the character of God in our minds, uh, let's just compare how the psalmist sees the nature and the character of the Israelites. Warning, it's not very good. If you've got your Bible, then follow along as I pick out key, key words. They were stubborn and rebellious, not loyal, not faithful. They did not keep the covenant, refused to live by the law. They forgot what he had done. They sinned against him, rebelled. They tested God and demanded. They did not believe or trust. In their terror, they would seek him. They would eagerly turn to him. They remembered that he was their God, their rock. But then they would flatter him, lying to him. Their hearts were not loyal, not faithful. They rebelled and grieved him. They tested him. They vexed the Holy One. They did not remember his power the day that he redeemed them, the day that he displayed his signs and wonders. They tested him and rebelled. They were disloyal and faithless. The psalmist's list there is heavy, but the history and the narratives behind those words are heavier still. But I also believe they're hugely relatable. In reading the Psalms, you have to accept humanity's failures and fallibility. In reading about these people, you have to hear the covenant they made and then hear the way they acted. They agreed to act with certain morals, seek one God, and they failed. However, in the midst of their failure, the author makes God's character clear in the center of the psalm. As the people are not holding up their end of the covenant, the psalmist writes, yet they were not faithful to his covenant, yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. This parable tells us of the faithfulness of humanity. But yet God is merciful, forgiving and slow to anger. But just because God has shown his, his character, it doesn't mean he has stopped partnering with his people in covenants. 
Before this psalm, God had made a covenant with King David that one of his royal descendants will be the one to build a temple. But not only that, that the coming descendants will be one of God's own sons and will establish a kingdom forever. This future hope is built upon in the prophets. Jeremiah and Ezekiel touch upon this hope, calling it the new covenant, saying, I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I atone for all that you have done. And for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Living in 2023, we have the privilege of reading about a descendant of David who as a toddler was worshipped as a king, who was baptised as God's own son, who spoke of fulfilling the law for all people, and who the night before he was to be executed, he took a glass of wine and pronounced it as his blood, declaring, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus can live a perfect life on this earth. He can be declared, he can declare God's kingdom, his rule and reign. He can faithfully come to atone for all humanity's failures. He has come to forgive all that has gone before, and he continues to forgive all that continues. The new covenant Jesus pronounces is forgiveness and grace. It is not earned, but freely given. The new covenant is a spirit of life. Because where there's life, there is freedom. The new covenant is an open, unveiled relationship to God the Father. For Christ has bridged that gap and reconciled people to the Creator. God has showed that he is compassionate and full of grace. This is not anything that we have done, but through Christ that we are saved. God has showed his unfailing love and faithfulness. Through his covenant, he agreed to work with us and partner for us. God has showed that there is a cost to sin that cannot be ignored, but he has showed that he can love beyond and in spite of that. God has showed his character is consistent. So how can we be faithful to that? How can we use the Psalms of wisdom and remembrance like Eve and Hannah spoke about to seek God more intimately and faithfully? How can we use the Psalms of lament and anger as Ellie and Paul spoke about to really grapple with that truth that God hates sin but forgives beyond all understanding. As we pause for a moment, let us bring those emotions of the Psalms before God, trusting in spite of who we are and how we act, that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Maintaining love to thousands in comparison to acting on justice on the third and the fourth. 
Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.